From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. What happens when a state begins to rely on a private company to fight wars? We've seen it before, but not like this. The power that private military company, the Wagner Group, has been granted by Russian President Vladimir Putin is unprecedented. But Putin might be finding out what that means the hard way, as the public face of Wagner, Yevgeny Prigozhin, publicly feuds with his generals and embarrassing stories emerge in the Western press. Today, expert in Russian foreign policy and fellow at the ANU Strategic and Defence Studies Centre, Matthew Sussex, on how the Wagner Group and its leader are changing the face of modern war. It's Thursday, May 18. Matthew, at the very beginning of the war in Ukraine, we started to hear these whispers that there was this mercenary army connected to Putin that was fighting for Russia. And it's now become very clear that 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 is happening, that there are tens of thousands of soldiers employed by this group, the Wagner Group, active in Ukraine. So to begin with, tell me about the Wagner Group. Who's behind it? Yeah, uh, the Wagner Group was set up by two guys, one of them, Dmitry Utkin, who was a former colonel in the Russian military intelligence special forces, the the GRU. He's a a fairly shadowy character. We do know that he has a variety of uh, Nazi tattoos, but uh, he's certainly sort of the, uh, I guess, the operational trainer, if you like, of Wagner. And the other person who set it up, and this was in 2014, was Yevgeny Prigozhin. He's much better known for, for being Putin's chef the guy who cooks up deals for Putin. And it was originally set up as a private military company, but really from the get-go, it was pretty clear that it was pretty much indistinguishable from an organ of the Russian state. So Wagner has been active in a variety of different places, uh, particularly in Africa and in the Middle East. But more recently, of course, it's, uh, it's been in Ukraine where, as you say, it's estimated that there are about 50,000 fighters operating for Wagner, and they tend to offer relatively better deals, pay deals, contracts, and so forth, than joining the Russian armed forces. So they are quite attractive uh, to join or have been in the past. The downside is that they also have a very high body count. Wagner troops are are used uh, independently of the Russian military forces, And uh, they're they're used in a way that shows a pretty callous disregard, I think, for the lives of people, the people who fight for them. And along the way, Wagner have been implicated in a number of quite horrendous human rights abuses, uh, particularly in Ukraine, but also, of course, in uh, in Africa, in places like Mali and so on. Mm. And one of the two founders of the Wagner Group, uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin, the man who you say used to be known as, as Putin's chef, he denied being part of Wagner Group for a long time, but then towards the end of last year, he he really stepped out of the shadows. He went public and, and claimed credit for the group. So tell me a bit more about Prigozhin and his connection to Putin. So Prigozhin is, uh, is a former criminal, actually. He went to jail for, uh, I think it was tax fraud. And when he got out, 
he started a, uh, I kid you not, a hot dog vendor business in uh, St. Petersburg. And um, that was around the time that Vladimir Putin was the chief of staff for the reformist mayor of St. Petersburg at the time, Anatoly Sobchak. And uh, we don't know if they have history that goes back before Putin became president, but certainly when he did, Prigozhin started pretty quickly to get the contracts for catering at the Kremlin for state dinners. And his company, Concord Catering, uh, became, I think, the wealthiest catering business in, in Eastern Europe by about 2010 or so. So Prigozhin has has a long history with Putin, and uh, he's a guy who has had his fingers in all sorts of pies. He set up the uh, the infamous Internet Research Agency, the Russian Troll Farm, which was responsible for meddling in all sorts of democratic elections, including numerous times in the United States. So that's just one of his sidelines. Uh, but Wagner has been his main business. Right. And in terms of the Wagner Group's activities in Ukraine over the past year or so, what have they been involved in? What have they claimed credit for? And how have they influenced events in Ukraine? Yeah, I mean, it, it does look as though Wagner has been used by Putin to to show up the armed forces. So when the Russian military fails, he tells Prigozhin to send Wagner in. Now, they claimed a victory over capturing the town of Solidar. After months of bloody fighting, an attempt by Russia to give a clear message. For the first time, a claim to be in complete control. And more recently, it's been involved in fighting for the town of Bakhmut, which the Ukrainians have been defending very, very vigorously. Battles raging on the outskirts of Bakhmut. Ukrainian troops still defending every inch. And it's estimated that, that they've incurred an enormous amount of losses in doing so. Near enough now for hand grenades. And for many casualties. But doing a lot of fighting hand-to-hand in the trenches, really sort of bloody and messy stuff. And uh, the types of people that have been recruited to Wagner in Ukraine aren't like the types of people who went to work for it in Africa, who were generally former Russian military. Uh, but what Prigozhin has done is, is scoured Russian jails. And said to them, come and fight for Wagner and we'll get your sentence commuted and you can earn money. The types of people who are fighting for Wagner now are often the most violent criminals and ones who you know, really have no compunction about you know, committing human rights abuses and treating Ukrainians really, really badly. Mm. And Matthew, in recent months, it's become clear that the relationship between the Wagner Group and the Russian military has begun to seriously deteriorate. Prigozhin has made a number of public claims about the Russian army. Tell me about what he's saying. Yeah, um... Prigozhin has been complaining a lot that uh, the Russian military doesn't supply him, doesn't give him what he needs uh, to to finish the fight, and also that it gets in the way. Evgeny Prigozhin posted an expletive-filled video online of fighters killed in Ukraine, blaming Russian military leaders for not providing them with enough ammunition. And that it's blocked him from recruiting new members, all sorts of, of, of complaints. And 
in particular, the, the Russian military is, is led by incompetent fools. You think you are the masters of this life? You think you can dispose of their lives? You think because you have warehouses full of ammunition that you have that right? And he said that on a, on a number of occasions, so much so that a couple of months ago, it's fairly clear, at least from the, the Discord leaks from the United States, that, that Vladimir Putin personally intervened uh, and sort of brokered a truce between Prigozhin and, and the defence minister, Sergei Shoigu. Now, that didn't last very long. Uh, and Prigozhin has been been getting absolutely furious um, and uh, posting videos with him standing next to the bodies of dead uh, Wagner fighters. These men here who died today are Wagner PMC. Their blood is still fresh. Film all of them. And saying, you know, Sergei Shoigu, the defense minister, and Gerasimov, who is the uh, the military commander in Ukraine and the chief of the Russian general staff, you guys are sitting in your offices, you know, stuffing your faces while these people are, are getting killed. Where the hell is my artillery? And so, you know, that the, there was an attempt about a week ago to broker yet another truce when the Kremlin appointed Sergei Surovikin, who was the previous Russian military commander who got replaced in January in Ukraine as a sort of liaison between Wagner and the Russian armed forces. Now, clearly that hasn't worked. And uh, evidently they, they continue to be at each other's throats. Mm. And you mentioned the Discord leaks, and there was a report recently that that also went to those leaks, claiming that Prigozhin had actually reached out to Ukraine with what seemed like a pretty extraordinary offer to strike a sort of deal. Can you tell me what we know about that? Yeah, uh, this is this is uh, a really interesting one. A, a report in the Washington Post, which said that Prigozhin had been in touch on numerous occasions with Ukrainian intelligence, uh, offering to give them positions of Russian troops if the Ukrainians withdrew from Bakhmut. Because, of course, this is a, a big prize for whoever takes the town, even though it's basically in rubble at the moment. Uh, Putin had ordered that it must be captured before uh, May 9th, the Victory Day parade in Moscow and across Russia, which, of course, you know, was pretty muted this year. That didn't happen. But whoever got to capture Bakhmut would have bragging rights. And if the story is true, that's clearly something that, uh, that Prigozhin wanted. Of course, it could be uh, a massive psyop. It could be the Russian military leaking the story. It could be the Ukrainians. Uh, it could be the Americans. If so, it's a pretty good one, and it makes Prigozhin look very, very bad. So far, it doesn't look as though the Kremlin has accepted that line. It's said that it's uh, misinformation. But being reported so publicly is just another example of how that this is a sort of reality TV show or soap opera playing out in front of a global audience pretty much in real time. We'll be back after this. The Saturday Paper's food editors are some of the country's leading chefs, including Andrew McConnell, Otama Carey, David Moyle and Karen Martini. Let them guide your cooking when you sign up to Schwartz Media's free weekly newsletter, The Food. It features the latest recipe from the Saturday paper, along with a selection of seasonal dishes suitable for all cooks. Subscribe today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. 
As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Matthew, how precarious is Prigozhin's position right now? He's been publicly accused of offering to give Ukraine the location of of Russian troops. He says that's not true. and, And so far, it seems like Putin believes that. But there are no guarantees here, are there? And, and there's no doubt that if it was true, Putin would see something like that as, as a betrayal. Oh, absolutely right. That's, it's treason. And, uh, you know, he, he would, wouldn't be long for this world, I would have thought. You know, a lot of the mis- mystique attached to Putin is that he has absolutely no compunction whatsoever in purging anyone he sees as, as being disloyal or a failure. In reality, actually, he has found it difficult to completely shed himself of people who have been close to him. And Prigozhin is someone who has been close to Putin in as much as you can. He's not connected to any of the the real power ministries at all. So in that respect, he doesn't have a, a big support base. But he's certainly someone who has done a lot of things for Putin. And it might be very difficult for the Russian president to uh, to, to discard him completely. Time will tell, I guess. Mm, and it does also seem like, at least at this moment in time, that Putin might need Prigozhin more than Prigozhin needs him because it certainly seems like Russia would have very little chance of, of winning in Ukraine without the Wagner Group. Yeah, I mean, it, look, that depends. I mean, the, the size of the Russian armed forces is, is pretty large. They've committed about 80% of their ground troops to the fight in Ukraine uh, and they're struggling to really make any advances whatsoever. But Wagner hasn't necessarily performed all that well either. Wagner is, you know, 50,000. It's it's dwarfed by the, the number of troops that uh, Russia in its regular forces have in the field, and that's probably about 180,000. It's also dwarfed by Putin's own personal internal guard, an organisation called Rosgvardia, uh, and that has around about 300,000 personnel um, just set up to guard Putin. So a lot of the scuttlebutt that, that's sort of risen up about you know, Prigozhin is, is seeing himself perhaps as a challenger to Putin. It's possible that that's the case. It's possible that he sees himself as running out of options and really is playing for, for very high stakes. But you probably wouldn't like his chances against Putin. He is someone who has an extraordinary amount of power. So in terms of sort of who needs who more, I, I think Russia and Putin certainly uh, need Wagner in Africa, where they do a lot of dirty work training local armies, providing security for high-ranking people, uh, fighting rebels and so forth. And in return for that, they get very lucrative licenses to import weapons um, and use natural resources. So they have very much increased Russia's footprint in Sudan, Central African Republic, Syria, Libya, Mozambique, and have been a very effective tool for Russian messaging there. In terms of their ability to do much on the battlefield, I, I think they're kind of limited to trying to take towns and strategic points. But as the uh, the conflict has gone on, I think it's become pretty clear that you know, neither Wagner nor the Russian armed forces really have the ability to, to conduct really major offensive operations anymore. 
Mm. And it does seem like the Russian government has handed the Wagner Group a rare and, and unique level of power there to, to fight wars overseas on this kind of large scale and, and recruit prisoners. So are we seeing consequences of of that handover of power? Is it changing the balance of power inside Putin's Russia? I think what, what Wagner illustrates is the willingness of the Putin regime to use you know, unusual, unconventional tactics in order to achieve his interests. Now, in many respects, Wagner is is like a an army. In its inventory, it has MiG-29 fighters. Um, it has, you know, Pantsir missile systems, which are very, very advanced. And so it's indicative of the fact that the Russian government isn't beyond trying to find creative solutions and isn't trying uh, beyond trying to find uh, people who will, in fact, commit brutal acts in support of Russian national interests. And now this is reflective of the fact that Russia sees itself, I think, very much uh, at war with the West. Uh, they have uh, the Russian word for enemy is vrag, uh, and it's a, a very evocative, emotional word. And that's what they use to describe the United States. It's what they use to describe many European countries. And it sort of you know means you you are my bitter enemy and I hate you and I uh, and all you stand for. Uh, and I'm prepared to use things like not just electoral interference, but uh, you know, semi-private military companies to go and do nasty things that will will hurt your interests. And Matthew, just to come back to what's happening on the ground in Ukraine, what is likely to unfold in Bakhmut now, and and what would it mean if Russia and the Wagner Group were not able to hold it? Uh, well, if they don't hold it, then they they probably get encircled by the Ukrainians. Um, the Ukrainians are just in the beginning of of their you know, long-awaited counteroffensive, and they've been at this for a while, building up supplies from the West uh, in terms of tanks, artillery shells, longer-range missiles. Uh, they've been very keen to get their hands on uh, F-16 fighter jets. That hasn't happened and probably won't, but certainly enough to be able to mount a, a reasonable counteroffensive against the Russian forces. And if, of course, you know, the, the Russians can't hold um, Bakhmut and if they can't hold in the south uh, near the city of Kherson, then um, they're in a lot of trouble. It may well be that um, the, the gains that they've got since invading on February 24 last year get wiped out relatively quickly and we start seeing Ukrainian forces moving into the areas that Kremlin proxy forces controlled right from 2014, 2015, all the way through to to the actual invasion in 2022. And if that's the case, that puts real pressure on Vladimir Putin as as the president, uh, because ultimately it rebounds on him as the person who made the decision to invade, the person who appoints the commanders who do the fighting, and uh, the, the person who has effectively sacrificed almost a generation of of young Russians to to this war. Hmm. Um, Matthew, thank you so much for your time. That's my pleasure. Always a pleasure to join you. Winnie Dunn has made a career out of helping others find their literary voice, and now it's her turn in the spotlight. This week on Read This, join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Winnie about her debut. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, 
Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has cancelled the Quad meeting between the leaders of Australia, Japan, India and the US, which was due to take place in Sydney next week. The decision comes after US President Joe Biden pulled out of the trip to deal with hostile negotiations with Republicans in the US Congress over the US government's debt. And a court has ruled that Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes must begin serving her prison sentence while she appeals her convictions and must pay $452 million US dollars in restitution to the victims of her crimes. Holmes, who rose to fame after claiming Theranos' small machines could run an array of diagnostic tests with just a few drops of blood, was convicted in 2022 and sentenced to 11 years and three months in prison. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.